Yeah, so good morning. As you've heard, my name is Scott, and I'm on the staff and the leadership team here at the church. Now, I've been part of the church here for uh, the last 20-odd years, dating back to 2001 when we started in a primary school. Uh, we did six weeks in a primary school. There were 27 people and seven children. Have a, just have a little look around you now. It's hard to imagine that it was that small at that point. And we've grown significantly over the last 20-odd years, saying goodbye to some and welcoming some others in. And we're definitely in a moment right now of welcoming lots of you in to the life of Reading Family Church. That's where we find ourselves. That's the kind of uh, part that we're in right now. And we really want you to feel at home with us here at RFC. We want you to ultimately become members of this local expression of God's church here in Reading. But we also want those of you who have been around for a while, maybe even as long as I have, to be reminded of what we believe as a church. So we've started this sermon series in Titus. It's a letter written to Titus by Paul. And it's going to help us to convey many of the values that we have built this church upon over 20 years. Many of the values that have shaped family life here at RFC. So Sean spoke last week about church family, church as family. He spoke about elders. And he finished by looking at the word of God about being our plumb line. And I'm going to continue looking at the word of God today as we continue through Titus. And this is important because we are a church that is built on God's book. That's the title of this morning's, if you're still a note taker, that is the title of this morning's sermon, God's book. We are a church that is built on God's book, the Bible. It's the solid foundation, one of the solid foundations that we've built this church on, the Spirit and the Word. So today we're going to be looking at the verses that we find in chapter 1, verse 9, all the way through to chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to be reading it from the ESV, English Standard Version. It is going to come up behind me. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn there, Titus 1, verse 9. Uh, if you haven't got that, maybe you've got an electronic device. If not, it will come up behind me. And it says this, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure... All things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Father, I just want to pray for us here this morning. As we've gathered to you today, we've sung our praises, we've lifted your name on high. As we come and gather to hear the word taught, I pray would your spirit move amongst us. 
Would our hearts be quickened? Would our minds be changed? Would you enable us to see fresh things, new things, the same things told again, but they impact us again? I pray now that you would use me as I speak, as these things that you've helped me to prepare this, this last week, to help us to think about the things that you're doing in our lives. I pray that we would be those who are rooted in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So Sean finished with verse 9 last week, and I am going to start there this week. This is the last of the things, if you remember from last week, this is the last of the things that Paul instructs Titus to look for when he's appointing elders in Crete. He says he must hold firm, he being the elders, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. I want us to notice here first that he says we need to hold firm to the trustworthy message as taught. As taught. Not just read the Bible, read around and come to your own conclusions. Not interpret these things as you want, but hold firm to the trustworthy message that was taught. Paul says something similar in the second letter he writes to one of his other sons in the faith, Timothy. He writes to him, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul wants Titus to raise up elders who can pass on what they have been taught by Paul, what they have heard from him. And what he has taught them, he knows to be sound doctrine and what is needed to both instruct the followers of Jesus and to rebuke or correct, as we might say, those who contradict it. So I guess it begs the question, what is sound doctrine? And what makes Paul qualified to say what it is? Firstly then, sound doctrine. Well, sound is the Greek word hygienousi. Please forgive me if you're a Greek scholar and you know how to say that better than I do. And it's where we get our word hygiene from. It appears three times in this passage, which is why I'm pulling it out. It appears here in verse 13 and in the last verse. And it's translated sound, but can also mean healthy. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear sound, I often mean solid. It's sound teaching. It's solid teaching. But actually, it's got much more of an emphasis of it's healthy teaching. It's healthy teaching. Our word, English word hygiene means conditions or practices that help to maintain health and prevent disease, especially through cleanliness. So we're being called to have sound, healthy doctrine. And doctrine is what is taught in any given place. It's the body of teaching, or maybe just a specific teaching, that a whole family, church family holds to. It's one of the things as elders that we have here as the church, we call it the three days. Doctrine is one of the things that we feel as elders we need to be uh, responsible for. What do we believe as a family? It's what we believe the Bible says, how we then work that out in church life and in our everyday lives. That's doctrine. So Paul is looking for elders to hold firm and to pass on healthy, clean teaching. 
And as best he sees it, the cleanest, purest, most healthy teaching for God's people is the teaching he has received and has passed on. Hold firm to what you were taught. This is to prevent disease and decay setting into the family. Now in 21st century Reading, we have our Bibles as individuals. We have the internet, we have podcasts. We have all sorts of ways of teaching ourselves because we've been trained to do so. We no longer rely on oral tradition, a method where we remember things as they are taught to us and pass them on accurately. We read, we listen, we watch, and we form our own body of teaching and understanding in our minds. This passage is not about us as individuals, though. Having our right to learn or to form our own opinions. He's not speaking against that. This is about Paul looking to protect the church as a whole, as a body, as a family. For Paul, having the teachings that he taught, still taught today, keeps us safe. Safe from what? Well, safe from ourselves. Because when we sit and make our own doctrines and come up with our own body of teaching, they may not be in line with what the Bible says. They may be in line with what culture is going or what we might want to do or where our own preferences might be. But it might not be what the Bible actually says. So we need this sound doctrine to keep being taught as best we know it as Paul taught them. And of course there's false teaching that will lure us away from God's way and teachings, which is what we're going to go on to see in the next few verses. New ideas have always come against the teachings of the Bible, haven't they? And often the Bible is used to explain those ideas in light of new revelations or maybe a human development in moral thinking. But it is the consistent, generation-spanning, unique, healthy teaching God revealed through Jesus and the likes of Paul and others, which then get recorded and put in this book, God's book that leads to healthy and clean living, that pleases God, and more importantly, represents him here on this earth as we go about our daily lives. We here are confident that what Paul has been taught is right. Because he has met with the living, risen, glorified Jesus. It's him that gave him his mandate to go and do what he did. He was versed in the Old Testament from his Jewish uh, training. He had spoken to many of those who had heard Jesus' teaching. So the, Holy, uh, so the Holy Spirit inspired him to bring all of these things together and help establish the body of teaching that helps communities of Jesus' followers to hold firm to what Jesus has taught and to put it into practice. That's why we trust Paul. At RFC, we have built ourselves on God's book because we want to hold firm to the teachings that are in there. Now, of course, as elders, we have been taught ourselves, and Sean did a brilliant uh, little summary of church history last week to help understand where our understanding of this sound doctrine comes from. I'm not going to repeat that. I just highly recommend go back and listen. Listen to the whole thing, but get to that bit towards the end that just says about where we fit into church history. 
here at RFC. Now you might be thinking, Scott, that's a long time on verse 9. You've got some more verses to get through. It's the longest bit of my, my talk today, but it sets up the rest of the verses in context of Paul wanting to protect the church, the health of the church, against teaching that is out of line with what he himself been taught. So we're going to move on to verses 10 and 11 now. So in verses 10 and 11, should come up now, we see that there is a problem that has arisen in the church in Crete. We've got people who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers from something called the circumcision party. Now these are false teachers. Remember, Paul is looking for sound, healthy, clean doctrine, clean teaching, which would be what which reflects the life and the teachings of Jesus. When we read the list of attributes of the false teachers, it is in stark contrast to what we looked at last week when we looked at elders. It says that these false teachers are insubordinate, they're empty talkers, they're deceivers, they're upsetting whole families, causing division in the church family, and they do it all for shameful gain. They're greedy. Later on it says they are detestable, disobedient, and not fit for any good work. Now I don't know about you, but I don't want that said about me. Do you? Paul says to Titus that these people should be silenced. Now, I've watched a few programs and films that have like mafia bosses in them. It's not silenced like that. He's not suggesting that they should be finished or put out of the church even. But he's saying, no, they need to be muzzled like a dog. Muzzled. And why do we muzzle dogs? Because we don't want them to be dangerous, do you? We, they bite and they harm people. Some do anyway. Not all dogs. If you've got a dog, your dog probably isn't like that. I'm not judging your dog. I'm just saying we use muzzles for dogs. And Paul is saying that false teaching is harmful. It's not hygienic. It's not clean. It's unhealthy to follow these people. These Jewish believers of the circumcision party are likely to be teaching that those who follow Christ should take on Jewish customs, food laws, circumcision, things like that, in order to be truly part of the people of God. But we know that in here it says that anything that says it's Jesus plus is not clean teaching. The Bible is clear and we stand on it when it says believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved. You enter his family by an action that happens first internally. Believe with your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. When, G, when Sean read the Matthew, the Matthew passage earlier, I was, my heart leapt. I was like, yes, this is an, we're not looking for the outward things. It's the inward things. Getting baptized, taking communion, they don't make us Christians. You know this. That does not make us a Christian. Reading your Bible, praying, serving, loving the poor, giving your money, it doesn't make you a Christian. You do all of those things because of the faith that you have in Jesus Christ, which you professed sometime years ago, maybe only a week ago, maybe you're about to profess it today. That's what calls us to Christ. That's, our, that's what Jesus follower is. It's not Jesus plus. We are clear on these things. This is clean, sound doctrine that comes from being rooted in here, even though this is a book 2,000 years ago, written 2,000 years ago. 
Verse 12 to 14 goes on and Paul continues to talk about these, this circumcision party. And he quotes a Cretan, probably a guy called Epimenides, when he says, Cretans are liars, evil beasts and lazy gluttons. Again, we don't want that said about us, do we? Now, I'm guessing to us that sounds quite harsh. And we could say, well, Paul, even if he did say that, why are you quoting it? Just to make a point here, Paul is writing to Titus. and It's not like Titus was going to stand up in front of the whole church and read the letter out. It was to, supposed to be for Titus to help instruct him. Paul has taken time to get to know the people that are of the circumcision group. Remember, he's been there. He's been to Crete. He's known them. He's seen them. He knows that across the ancient world, this is what the Cretans were known for. There's a Greek word, kretizo, kret, kretizo, which meant to lie, cheat, and deceive. They even had a word that, they, that goes back, it's, it's nub is in Crete, kretizo. Cicero, a guy who was a big deal in the Roman Empire, said of Crete, moral principles are so divergent that the Cretans consider highway robbery honorable. <laughs> That's how they were viewed. And in some senses, they wanted to live up to that. And what Paul has observed when he says, I, I affirm this statement is true because he's been there, he knows them. What he's observed is these people, they're following after that pattern. They are liars. They're, they're trying to get money out of you to do the right thing or whatever it is. They're trying to find favor or power. In all the, you know, they're saying that little bit that just gets your itchy ears going. Oh, surely it should probably be that. You say no. And he says, rebuke them harshly. Man, I'm from Britain. I don't want to rebuke at all. Do you? Paul's worked out the best way to challenge those guys because they're pretty upfront and pretty harsh themselves. He says, if they're harsh, be harsh. But I'm not a Cretan, and you're not Cretans. The truth is, if you rebuke me harshly, I'm probably not going to react well. I'll probably get proper emotional on you and retreat into myself. And I say this because this passage, when it says rebuke them harshly, is, a, is, is contextual to who they are. We need to know who it is, if we're ever going to bring a rebuke, who we're bringing the rebuke to. A rebuke is supposed to be in line with love and in line with how people will respond. I've got a silly example here about rebuking. Now, most of us here will live in a shared house of some description. And I don't know if you've ever had to correct somebody in your house for something, like leaving the, dish, the dishes in the water or, or socks on the floor or whatever it might be. You've had to come to that moment where you've had to have a confrontational moment and do a little bit of correcting. Some of the smiles, some of you are going, no, I've never done that. <laughs> you have. And you know you have. In any shared house, it's going to happen at some point. When we consider rebuke here, remember it's in line with teaching, not to, not to our preferred preferences. We need the Bible so we don't moralize our preferences. Here's an example. I'm someone who will do fun things before the things that need to be done. B is someone who do the things that need to be done before she does the fun things. Now, I'm now split in the room because some of you are going, yeah, that's right. 
but you're saying that's right to either one. Which one is right and which one is wrong? Friends, it's morally neutral. But there's dangers of both. The first one is this, I'm in danger of procrastination, which actually the Bible has an awful lot to say on. B, is on, the, is on the other hand, is in danger of condemnation and judgment, which the Bible has an awful lot to say on. So if either of those things become too uh, emphasized, we actually bring a rebuke, not about whether you should or shouldn't do what's fun first or not, but about you shouldn't be procrastinating because the Bible is clear that's not good. Or you shouldn't be condemning or judging. Does this make sense? But we need the Bible to understand this stuff. Hence, we're rooted on God's word. Let's rebuke around the biblical thing, not our preferences. And all this is so we will be sound in the faith. There it is again, hygienousi. Clean, healthy in our understanding of the faith that we follow. In this case, in the Bible, in this particular circumstance, it's not Jesus plus. When rebuke is needed, it's not because we want to be right. It's because God desires us to be set in his word and in his way of seeing the world and of doing things. Not in cultural narratives or myths, as it says in this passage, or not following the commands of people who have moved away from the doctrines of Jesus, as best understood, as they have been passed on. And just a, just a little disclaimer on this. This is talking within a church context, not your work context, not your school or university context. It's, we're not talking about governments or the bosses at work or your lecturers at uni who may not live up to what this says because they don't know what this says. They don't profess to know Jesus. We are talking about those who profess to the faith but teach unclean teaching. And he moves on in verse 15 to 16. And I think these two verses are probably the harshest condemnation in one sense regarding the false teachers. Remember, Paul is looking for the church to be built on sound teaching. God's book, as we now have it in the Bible. Trustworthy teaching, passed on from generation to generation, flying in the face of popular opinion and cultural narratives, living a life with God's moral values and with his vision for our lives, not anyone else's. Anything less than that will constrain us from the freedom to live as God has called us to. And as he's saying that, he says this, To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. And it has echoes of Jesus in Luke 11, verses 37 to 41, which says, While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and he reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. Jesus has come to town. He's come to his house to have dinner. He's worried that he hasn't washed his hands. Ceremonial cleaning before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools. That's Jesus. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give us alms, those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. That last bit basically means give to the poor from your heart, and everything is clean for you. 
Do it from inside. Remember? Believe with your heart. The circumcision group, like I said, are likely teaching about Jewish customs and rituals to bring people into the true family of God. Just as the Pharisee here who spoke to Jesus was looking going, you didn't wash yourself. And Paul responds the same. If we are pure in heart, all things are pure. Why? Because true, true purity is following Jesus. Is knowing that our sin has been dealt with. Letting him cleanse our hearts and our consciences by forgiveness of our sin, of our guilt and of our shame. Just as Sean was saying, he was so excited this morning that the reminders that he's had after reading the Bible this morning, rooted in the word of God, and then singing the same stuff again later, is something that just thrills your heart and goes, oh wow, this can't be true, can it? This is amazing. What's thrilling your heart? West Ham winning 2-0 yesterday? Probably not. It was quite thrilling for me. But it's Jesus who has cleansed me from my sin. That's true thrill. Amen? Amen. (laughs) We are made by Jesus, pure and holy in his sight when we commit to him. Not when we do any of the things that we perceive make us holy. We can do all the right things, but we've not been cleansed by the blood of Jesus and he's not made his home in our heart, then both our minds and our consciences are defiled. Both things that are inside us. Both things are the bits that Jesus wants to transform. See, he says in this, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. Friends, we can say what we like, but what we truly believe always comes out in the way that we act. You know this is true. I'm not telling you anything new this morning. To become more like Jesus, we need to have our hearts and our minds changed, not our behaviors. Our behaviors will follow our hearts and minds. That's where sound, clean, healthy teaching comes in. At RFC, we are a church that is built on the Word of God, healthy Sound, standing up to those who would profess the faith, but bring something that is contrary as we understand it to the deep truths of that faith. We do believe what this says, and we follow it. We finish with chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. I added the Titus in, because he said elders need to do this. He said that we need to be able to correct what's happening so that they can come back to what the sound doctrine is. And now he says to Titus quite clearly, now you need to teach. And Paul starts this new section with a call again for clean, healthy teaching. Firmly established in what God has said as best we understand it rather than what the world says. As elders here, when we teach, we are trying to faithfully pass on that which was been given to us in line with Jesus' teachings. Our nuances, as Sean said last week, will be worked out through the apostles that have taught us. But with a clean heart, we desire to establish this church on the foundation of God's book. We endeavor to build our own lives, as you've heard from Sean already this morning, on God's book. So when false teaching influences any one of our church family, or when we hear false teaching, we are able to refute and rebuke it appropriately. 
Many of you know this, but I'm not going to apologize for using the analogy again. You'll know that when banks were a thing, you know, when you had to go to a bank to take money out and go to a bank to pay money in, when we actually used notes, bank notes, they used to teach the tellers, the bank, the bank clerks, how to recognize a fake note. And they did that by showing them real notes. The feel of them, the smell of them, what, what they look like, how the color moves. As they looked up in the light, what, they, what they, the marks should be on the paper. They didn't show them every fake that ever came along because they, there was too many fakes. There's always a fake that can be made. They showed them the real thing so that when the fake comes, they know, what it, they know it's a fake. They can hear it. They can see it. They know it. Same with the Bible, friends. So we can hear when things don't line up to Scripture. We need to know Scripture. We need to know what the Bible says. Sometimes we hear uh, things with our, we hear something said with our minds or with our intellect. We say that's not right because I have been taught something different. You might not say it like that. I was exaggerating. Ha ha. I know that not to be true. Oftentimes, though, it's just something deep in your gut that goes, "That doesn't sound right." You hear something on a radio, or you hear something that, you know, a teacher that you're listening to online, and they say something, you go, that doesn't, that doesn't seem quite right. It's, I've got a gut reaction to that. I'm not quite sure that's, that's what that says. I would say probably that's, a, that's your conscience. And your conscience has been informed over many years of reading your Bible, listening to teaching, and putting yourself under what we would consider that sound doctrine. And sometimes you, you hear something and you think, that's not right. Well, then, then deal with that and say, actually, well, I'm going to question that. I'm not just going to take it in. For some here today, you've learned how to study. Oh, you're good at studying. Whether that is at university or through work or some other avenue, you, you know how to study. Be those who study the truth so you will know the false when it comes. You will know when something doesn't sound right. Maybe when you are reading a Christian book or listening to a podcast or preach online, let it line up against the plumb line of God's book and also the teaching that you've received. And if those things don't reconcile, then come and speak to us. You've heard something, you've read something, interpreted slightly different to how we've said it. We're happy to have a conversation and say this is why we, we believe as we do. For others of us here today, studying or even reading isn't what you do. It's not easy for you. It's not natural. I want to reassure you that you are not alone in this church and that you don't have to have a degree or A-levels or O-levels or GCSEs, depending on how old you are, to be part of this church family and certainly not to follow God, to follow Jesus. I would recommend for you maybe getting a Bible app if you haven't got one already where you can listen to the Bible being read to you. Have a trusted friend that you can ask questions of. What did that mean when it said that? And keep coming here and listening to the preaching. And if we're using lots of words you don't understand or lots of jargony stuff, please tell us. Don't sit in silence. We want to be able to be understood by everyone. We want to be able to be understood by everyone. So please don't stay silent. Let us know when you don't understand. Wherever you find yourself today, just to remind you, we do have RFC3s, RFC3s, which is a way of connecting with the Bible with two or three others in the church. If you're too unsure on how to get involved in that, contact church office. Catherine will be in, in contact with you just to know how to get involved with that. 
But can I finish with this today just by saying every Sunday we have a moment where we teach the Word of God. Where we take the Bible and we try and explain as best we possibly can the deep truths of the faith that have been, passed to us, have been put in here, passed on to others, and then eventually passed on to us, and now we're passing them on again. They may not be fluffy. They may not be what the culture is saying or what the person at the, the water cooler tomorrow is going to say. It might be completely contrary to that. But we're trying to stay faithful and root ourselves in God's word so that we would have sound, healthy, clean doctrinal teaching here in this local expression of God's word uh, of God's church amen